Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Jeff Mextroth, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Jeff Mextroth about bridge as a career, the responsibility he feels towards up-and-coming champions, and his thoughts on Mechwell. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. I had such a good time playing with you online yesterday. <laughs> Wasn't that great? Well, oh, it was great. We got a great result, but you were invisible for the whole game. It was so strange. Oh, my God. I didn't realize. Sometimes I log on as invisible. But you could see me at the table. I, I could was see you like, at the table, but I couldn't initiate any of the chat to you. So you were you could chat away. And if you wrote to me, I could reply to you. But, you know, normally we go back and forth and it, clearly I must initiate some of it because I couldn't. <laughs> it was like you just weren't there unless you were speaking. And oh. I just was completely, completely <laughs> shocked by it. It was so strange. It was like I could oh, no. see you out there, but I couldn't talk to you. It, it, it was a really peculiar, peculiar experience. I did not like it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I guess I had been logged in as invisible before right. and I didn't log out and log back in. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize 
that there was any issue because there I was at the table playing. And I've often thought about playing as invisible because, you know, sometimes you don't always want everyone to know that you're online or that you've been online maybe for a couple of hours longer than <laughs> you should have been, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, but I was always a little insecure because I wasn't completely confident you could then get into the games because you know how sometimes those online platforms, they change the conditions and it's sometimes it's not clear. So I just thought, oh, I didn't want to risk it. So I hadn't been in that situation before, even though I will often play maybe some of the robot games as invisible. But yeah, I had not been in that situation before where my partner was invisible. And I just was really surprised at how it affected my experience of the game. Like even those chats between rounds, it's such a small amount of social interaction. But it clearly, for me anyway, has a huge effect on my sense of engagement and experience of the game. Oh, well, I am so, so sorry. And I will try never to be invisible when playing <laughs> with you again. And I, I really just did not realize. But, you know, these this technology, it's just it's never ending pitfalls that can trip you up about anything. I mean, do you do you remember like a couple weeks ago we installed the BBO Helper. Yes. The browser extension. Oh, it was so great. Wonderful, wonderful. Except for what we didn't realize was that if auto alerts is enabled, it'll just be auto alerting all your bids and not necessarily according to your actual convention card. So <laughs> I don't know how you get the convention card to match the auto alerts, but the auto alerts were not working. So the auto alerts were alerting our OneNote Trump responses as forcing. But meanwhile, we were alerting our one no Trump <laughs> responses to a major as semi-forcing. I know, and I had no idea. So yeah, we gotta get clear on the on these various um technical options that are available to us. And rightly so, the opponents were getting very agitated because they were getting two completely contradictory messages. And I didn't understand what was going on at the time. So I, I just thought they were being really combative for no reason. Me too. And of course, they had every reason. I've since disabled mine because it was more trouble than it was worth, I think. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, it's nice for being able to get certain information about proper lines of play at the end of the hand. Yeah. But yeah, if it's alerting things that are not in our agreement, that's no good. No, that's no good. So this is the part where we get real and ask for your support. As you know, the podcast is available for free and it's a labor of love, but it does take a lot of time and effort to put together. Donating is easy. You go to sorrypartner.com and you'll see a tab along the top support the show, and that takes you right to our secure Patreon page. Many of you have contributed already and we are so grateful, but if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, back to the show. So Jocelyn, we've had a couple of letters in the mailbag. Would you like me to read them to you? Well, Catherine, I would love that. I hoped that you would say that, Jocelyn. <laughs> <laughs> so our first letter is from Jude in Santa Cruz, California, and she says, Hi, Jocelyn and Catherine. Several years ago, I was playing in an advanced beginner game at our local club. My partner opened the auction with one spade. Opponents passed, 
I replied two spades with my supporting three spades and nine points. Happily, we won the auction. Unhappily, we were set four tricks. Oh. After the last trick was played, my partner looked at me and said, I'm not sure why, but when I opened my hand, I counted that I had 13 cards, so I bid my five-card spade suit. I confused 13 cards with 13 points. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. We laughed and later named the move the Santa Cruz Wrong Way opening bid. Just shows anything can happen even to a competent player when they are tired or distracted. Thanks for your show. Jude. (laughs) Gosh, that is truly like an out of body experience. Oh my goodness. Awful, awful, awful. Well, I'm assuming you're still talking to your partner, Jude. So that's something. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice. And our next letter comes from Kerry. Hello, Jocelyn and Catherine. I am from Australia and have just discovered your podcasts, which I greatly enjoy listening to, particularly as I am walking my dog. Muriel. (laughs) I am fairly new to the bridge scene, having only taken up the game on retirement two years ago. Listening to your bridge gurus, one issue that is consistent is their insistence that one must maintain concentration at all times. Mm. Well, this is where my mighty bridge blunder comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Grace yourself, Jocelyn. Here we go. I was playing online with my very patient friend, Anne. My hand came up and it was a beauty. Four spades, four hearts, five diamonds and avoiding clubs. Three losers and 20 points. So I opened two clubs and self-alerted the meaning of my bid. The opposition passed. Then in the time between my bid and my partner's response, Muriel, my dog, arrived at the door of my study with a very suspicious lump of fur in her mouth. In the time it took me to throw her outside, my partner had bid two diamonds. Ah, I thought, I have five diamonds. We have a fit. Oh, no. (laughs) So I then used Gerber to ask for aces and kings. We had all the aces and two kings, and I decided to back off from my first sort of seven diamonds and just settle for five diamonds. Meanwhile, my partner was wondering where I was going with this. Perhaps I had a handful of diamonds. Soon she found out. Dummy came down and I gasped as I realized my terrible error. Partner had one diamond and seven (laughs) points. Hence the two diamond waiting bitch. As realization dawned, the awfulness of the situation became worse when I realized my partner had to play it. (laughs) The only consolation was that playing online, I didn't have to see the glee on the faces of our opposition. (laughs) oh my goodness you must have felt like an unknown elderly aunt had just left them a million dollars so this then is my challenge to your listeners does anyone have a bridge blunder to equal mine yours in (laughs) shame and humiliation (laughs) carry oh it's a schlamazel oh it is it's it's a schlamazel of schlamazels we've all been there carry believe me we've all been there Oh, thanks for sharing, Carrie. And thanks for writing also, Jude. So if anyone has a bridge blunder that rivals Carrie's, please send it to us. Make Carrie feel better. You can send it on email or Instagram or leave us a voice message. These links 
are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Jeff Mextroth. American champion Jeff Mextroth has won nine world championships and is one of only 10 players who have won the so-called triple crown of bridge, the Bermuda Bowl, the World Open Pairs, and the World Team Olympiad. We could go on and on, but then we'd never get to the interview. Jeff has also done a lot for Bridge behind the scenes. He has been a member of the ACBL Conventions and Competitions Committee for 25 consecutive years, served as national recorder, and was a longtime member of the Appeals Committee. He has also supported and mentored many junior players. We started by asking him about one of the most controversial topics in all of Bridge, the support double. Well, I don't really know how to bid without them, personally. (laughs) The quality of the fit is one of the most important things to know in Bridge. Whether you have a 4-3 fit, which is barely a fit, or a 4-4 fit, or even better, a nine-card fit. I mean, one of the biggest differences in bridge is when you have an eight- or a nine-card fit. When you have a nine-card fit, you can make game with 20 points combined. If you each have a singleton, you make game with nothing. But if you're in a 4-4 fit, then you're not even close to making game. So you need to know how many foot trumps you're facing and how many you have combined in order to have accurate bidding. Otherwise, you're just guessing. And what about the sacrifice of the double to mean penalty in that instance? Well, in my opinion, that's very low priority to have a penalty double. To differentiate whether you have three or four card support is very important. So, and the utility of an immediate penalty double is very low. To expand on that a little bit, when your partner opens a major, it's very common now to have four card raises available, like a mixed raise. And a mixed raise is more than better than a preemptive raise and less than a limit raise. But the ability to show that you have four card support is very important and very useful. So that's becoming almost standard these days. They call them Bergen raises, a lot of people. So, But yes, the quality of the fit is very, very important at Bridge. So, Have you had the opportunity to talk to someone like Thomas Bessis about this? Because he absolutely detests support doubles. I know. I played with Thomas. A number of times. We won the Cavendish together as partners, which was profitable. We were second in the platinum pairs playing together. He's a very good friend of mine. And I know that he doesn't like support doubles. And so I accommodated him and played it his way when we played together. And Zia's not big on them either, but Zia accommodates me. He plays them for me, so... But what he doesn't really like, he doesn't like support redoubles, Zia. So he refuses to play the support redouble. Right. And I think that is, in fact, something that some of our guests have pointed to, not 
specifically the support double, but the support redouble, as in they have a better use for the redouble. Yeah, you can do without the support redouble. Zia likes to be able to redouble to just say he's got the strong hand, and then he figures he can raise next time if he's got three of them. I understand that and would tend to agree with that a little more, but support double, everyone out there listening, you're not going to find a better use of the bid than to say you have three card support. Now, another thing about support doubles, I like to play them all the way up to four of the major because, I mean, if you do it at the three and four level, you have obviously a much better hand to force the bidding that high. But if the bidding goes a uh, heart, pass, a spade, four diamonds, I mean, the hand that I typically get is three-card support for my partner's major and a good hand, short and diamonds. I mean, I don't get dealt a penalty double of diamonds when they're jumping to four diamonds. So I play them all the way up to four of the major. A lot of people seem to just play them at the two level. Right. But I would recommend playing them even higher. That's how good the... My former partner invented the convention. He used to play bridge with a guy, Steve Bloom from Boston, uh, who was a... uh, learned bridge from Charlie Coon in the Boston area. And he kept raising Eric Rodwell on three-card support. And Eric was in a habit of responding in three-card majors at the time. And his partner kept raising him on three, and he got sick and tired of it. He called it the Bloom Obstinance Double. (laughs) Uh So that's how the convention was initially thought of, that Rodwell wanted to have a way that his partner could have a bid to show three-card support without having to raise him. But you're often associated with it. Well, just because I was his partner for... I was his partner. I mean, it's it's a shame Mr. Rodwell is out of bridge. I mean, can you tell us more about that? Well, he refuses to get vaccinated. It's really all I have to say about it. So he no vaccination, no no play. So mm. he left me in a lurch. I had to get new partners and whatnot. So. Imagine you weren't short of people with their hands up to play with you. No, I've had some I've had some good partners and I've, you know, got the opportunity to play with some new people, but <laughs> they're thrilled. <laughs> yeah, our partnership of like fifty years or so seems to be over. Now. Is there some grief attached to that? I'm sure there must be. Well, I was very disappointed. I'm I had a number of months where he kept making me believe that he was going to get vaccinated because I knew that was going to be a requirement to play. And then at the last minute, he just let me down and left our team in a lurch, you know, when he pulled out and wouldn't do it. So we were scrambling to fill out our team and I was scrambling to get a new partner and so I've started playing with David Berkowitz not so shabby that's worked out quite well (laughs) hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? Well, I love the tournaments in Monaco. Because it just is such a great venue. It's beautiful. I love Europe. Uh, I love going to Europe, all the European tournaments. But I'd say the Monaco tournaments are especially uh, my favorite. I've had great success there. We won a Bermuda Bowl in Monaco in 2003, I think. I won the the uh, Cavendish there. and. I won the uh, Winter Games team event playing with Zia, and then we were second in the next Winter Games, again playing with Zia. Can you take us inside the experience of playing, say, in Monaco? What's it like? Oh, well, it's really fabulous. The hotel is beautiful. You're right on the Mediterranean. When we walk down the street to dinner, we go by the Aston Martin dealership and then the Ferrari dealership and the Rolls Royce. And I mean, it's, it's just money, money, money. You see that the million dollar yachts are parked in the Bay and it's everything. The restaurants are fabulous. So everything about it is, is first class. And it's just, I really enjoy that, you know, were there any standout experiences from being there, a particular restaurant you loved or a particular experience that you had outside of the bridge table or outside of the game? Well, all of the restaurants are fabulous, but I would say the the standout experiences is all of the big wins that I had there. I mean, <laughs> that will do it. <laughs> I'm very competitive. When I play bridge, I play to win. And so... The fact that it's such a nice venue combined with my extraordinary success there makes it probably my favorite venue. Now, if you want to look at United States tournaments, I mean, I enjoy uh, Vegas as far as for nationals. My favorite regionals are probably Greenville, 
and Hilton Head, you know. Greenville's a really nice regional. It's at a nice hotel with good restaurants right out the back door. A lot of people talk about that one. So when you're in Vegas and you've finished a, a tournament, how would you unwind? It's different now. I used to be used to drink a lot more than I do now. I'm not I'm pretty much don't drink very much anymore. But I would be drinking and gambling, you know. <laughs> That's what I would I do. I go play blackjack and get hammered and that was a fun time, but I'm an old man now, so I I uh, am more disciplined and plus as I become more financially secure gambling has lost its appeal because I don't really need the money you know it used to be that winning money in casino was really attractive to me but now that I don't need the money you know it's much less interesting to me to be casino gambling so so how do you unwind now after a tournament oh well there's, I'm not that wound up to begin with, so <laughs> I, and I find that I operate much better when I sleep at night. So I might have a drink, you know, I might have one cocktail, and and then I pack it in. You know, I read or or watch movies. So you're on record as saying Casablanca is your favorite movie. What other films do you enjoy? Well, I like action movies. I like suspense dramas. Uh, I mean, I like some silly movies too, you know, so I like comedies. I know that you like to read science fiction. I do. You're so well known in the bridge community. Do you think part of your interest in reading science fiction is because it just is so separate from that whole experience? Uh, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I was always a a science guy. I, As a young kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, which was not really very realistic. But I was always interested in space and things. Uh, but I really don't feel like I'm famous because in the real world, meaning outside a bridge, I'll go out and... Nobody knows who I am. I mean, I can go eat at restaurants and, you know, I occasionally run into someone that plays bridge that knows who I am. And, but that's, that's the exception. It's not like Brad Pitt going out to, <laughs> in more ways than one. It's not <laughs> like that. But. We've had so many letters from so many listeners who talk about their experiences sitting down at a tournament and looking up, and there there you are on the other side, and they're just mortified. They're so nervous and intimidated. Yeah, in bridge circles, I'm famous, but uh, but that's not the case in the real world, so I don't really feel famous at all. So, Nevertheless, you must have that feeling when you walk into a tournament that eyes are on you. Well, yeah, in a bridge world, it's totally different in at a bridge tournament. I am the Mac at the bridge tournament. I mean, <laughs> I am the king. I mean, I feel like I'm the best player and I'm determined to show it every time I sit down. I mean, I want to win. Even, 
I, I am as competitive as they come. Even when I go to the local game, I mean, I'm going down there to win. I'm not, I don't mess around when it comes to bridge. And a lot of people think I'm rather aloof because I'm all business when it comes to bridge. I'm quite serious at the table. I know that you play with your wife sometimes and sometimes at the local club. When you and Sally go to the local club, are you are you walking in there and you're, you're fierce and ready to win or are you a little more social? Oh, I'm ready to kick everyone's ass at every, <laughs> every moment. I mean, I'm out for blood, you know. That's how my father taught me to play bridge is you got to have the killer instinct. So I have that. Every time I sit down to play. Your father disowned you for a while when you said you were going to become a professional bridge player. Yes. Tell us that story. Well, there's a backstory there. I mean, I was the youngest of three siblings, and my brother uh, went off to college, and I still had three more years of high school left. And my father basically totally enabled me to play bridge throughout high school. He would write me bogus excuses (laughs) so that we could skip school and go to tournaments. And he just totally enabled me to play bridge, but he always had the caveat, don't you dare become a bridge bum. He was always worried about that. You know, I was to go off to college and get an education and but so I, he enabled me, and I won the King of Bridge in high school, which that's a whole other story. But that led to some pretty amazing people. We, The King of Bridge, I'm getting sidetracked. You here, are. But, I want to take you back to your father disowning you. <laughs> well, I went to college, and I, I stayed in college for a couple years, and I hated it. And... I just decided I was going to drop out and try and make a bridge career out of playing bridge. And so he immediately disowned me, said, that's it, I'm cutting you off, you know, because my parents were going to pay for my schooling Uh as long as I was in college. But he was furious, and he said, that's it, you know, not another dollar. So I said, okay, you know. But my mother encouraged me to go ahead and do it. She was a college professor. And when I talked to her about maybe leaving college, she encouraged me and said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and try it. You can always go back to school. I needed that sort of encouragement to make the step, but I hated school. Typical week at college, it'd be Monday morning, and I just got back from organic chemistry and calculus. It's now, you know, like 10 a.m., and I'd look in the bridge bulletin, hmm, regional in Detroit. <laughs> so I'd jump in my car Monday morning, and then I would be getting back to school the following Monday morning at about 4 in the morning, you know, a week behind, and... That was a typical week at college for me. I still was able to, to pass my courses, but I really wasn't into the school. So how did you and your father reconcile? Well, mm, several years after I dropped out, I was uh, 
playing in the Bermuda Bowl in New York, and I remember I invited him to come and watch, and he was in the audience. He came, and he was in the audience popping tranquilizers, going, you know, that's my boy, that's my boy. And he won the Bermuda Bowl. So when he saw the kind of success that we were having and the fact that I was actually able to earn a living at it, he came around. It wasn't too bad, but he was initially quite upset that I didn't want to go to school. But it's funny because you then encouraged Zach Grosak. You made him promise you that he would finish his college education. I did. Well, I, <laughs> I have a regret. I still regret the fact that I didn't finish school. And like with my children, I have two boys. I insisted that they finish school. I wasn't going to forbid them from playing bridge. And so they played bridge. They're both national champions. They won the mini spin gold in Long Beach in 2003. And the younger boy who's here now won it again on a different team. But they won it once playing together. So they're considered national champions having won that event. It doesn't qualify for like a grand life master. But they both got their degrees from University of Florida. And I was pleased with that. And they both still play occasionally, but neither of them decided to make their career in bridge, which I was very happy about. Why is that, Jack? Well, I just didn't think it was fair to have them try and follow in my footsteps in bridge. It's a tough way to make a living being a professional bridge player. In order to really have the financial security, you need to have one of the jobs on the big teams. You know, you need to be on a nickel team or a specter team, or there aren't that many positions where you can make a really good living in security. I mean, to be hustling and trying to play with, you know, various people at regionals and whatnot, pick up game here and there. That's a hard way to make a living. And I didn't want them to be in that kind of position. Also, I just didn't think that they it was fair to them that they would always probably underachieve what I've done. They'd always be looking up, trying to climb a, a mountain that would be too difficult. If you hadn't stayed in bridge and you said you thought being an astronaut might not have been realistic, what do you think you might have done instead? Oh, I always knew. I knew from a young age that I was not cut out for a nine-to-five job. As a kid, I wanted, my ambition was to be a professional golfer, actually. An astronaut was when I was really little. That was, uh, you know, like preschool. I wanted to be an astronaut. But I got into golf. At the age of nine, people that owned the golf course went to our church. So I had a job at the golf course every summer, and I spent every day on the golf course. I grew up playing tournament golf. Uh, I was fairly successful. I was the first man on a high school team for three years. 
I had several scholarship offers to small schools for golf, and Ohio University was recruiting me. I had a half academic scholarship there, and the golf coach was recruiting me because one of the, my brother's friends was already on the team, and he wanted to get me on the Ohio University team. So I was going to play golf at OU, and a week before the season started, I broke my elbow, and that had a major impact into which uh, way I went. I mean, golf was out of the question. That ruined the whole season for golf, and I could play bridge with a broken elbow. So I really never, my golf game really never uh, recovered from that. That was a year, basically, where I couldn't play golf. Do you think that's part of the reason why you became disillusioned with college? Because in a way it was tied in your mind with, with having to give up that golf career? No, no. I didn't like college. Uh, it had really nothing to do with that. But, then, but you talked about regretting not completing college. And so what's that about? Well, I do because as kids, we were ingrained. My parents just beat it into us. Like if you don't have a college degree, you're nothing. You're either going to pump gas or... So it's more about that idea of what you thought you should do. Well, I still regret it. And again, a bridge professional is a tough way to make it. And so I advise all the young people to go ahead and get get their education first because they want to have something to fall back on if bridge doesn't work out for them. Only the minority of people are going to be successful as bridge professionals. So I can't, in all good conscience, advise people to do this for a living. And I really like the both of the Grossack boys, and I wanted to make sure that Zach finished school first before Bridge was always going to be waiting for him. I mean, but it's absolutely imperative that he get his degree first, you know. And he lived up to that. I mean, he definitely stayed in school and worked hard and got his degree from a fine university, he went to Tufts. So. And that's where we'll sign off today. Join us next week for part two of the interview where Jack talks about the most interesting person he's encountered at Bridge and shares his favourite convention and top tip. Many thanks to our guest, Jeff Mextroff. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen, and to our listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message and please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side 
And remember to tune in next week to hear the second part of our interview with Jeff Mextrop and to hear Jeff's top tip. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.